Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. If you are anything like me, planning out a week's worth of meals can be extremely stressful. There's finding out what meals your family wants, making a shopping list, finding time to get all the items, and then cooking it all. Sometimes it just gets to be too much. That's why I love HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. And if you're pressed for time, HelloFresh offers 10 to 20 minute meals, low prep recipes, and quick breakfasts and lunches. Perfect for your busy schedule. Not just that, but with the easy to follow directions and pictures to guide you along the way, anyone can be the master chef in your family. Trust me, as a cooking novice, I can say without a doubt that HelloFresh makes dinner time pretty foolproof. We've been using HelloFresh for a while now, and I have never been disappointed by any of the meals. I know that if I pull out one of those little bags, my family is in for a delicious dinner time. HelloFresh now owns Green Chef, which you guys know I've talked about and raved about before. 
My favorite thing to do is to switch between the two to make the perfectly curated menu that my family loves. Now more than ever, HelloFresh is committed to making sure that fresh, delicious food is available. They've taken extra steps to keep their employees and customers safe, including no contact delivery, tamper-proof packaging, and team member wellness checks. Are you ready to try it out for yourself? Go to HelloFresh.com slash MorningCup12 and use the code MorningCup12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Being a parent isn't for everyone. On March 26th, 2018, a couple who took in six adopted children made the most selfish decision they could, one that cost an entire family their lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Jennifer Jean Hart and Sarah Margaret Gangler Hart met after both transferring to Northern State University and majoring in elementary education. Initially, the pair kept their relationship private, as to avoid any close-minded judgments and, once they did make it public, felt the need to move out of South Dakota after facing some pretty serious opposition. At some point in 2004, while living in Minnesota and in their mid-20s, the women became foster parents to a 15-year-old girl who thought this was going to be a turning point in her life and that she would have a stable home at least until she turned 18. Almost immediately, the women started to treat the teen with a catty attitude, almost as if they were teens themselves and the high-powered bullies of the school. They claimed that she took food from the trash and criticized her every move for the roughly year she spent with the women before, one day driving her to her therapy appointment, dropping her off, and having the therapist explain that her foster mothers weren't coming back that she just wasn't a good fit. Two years later, in 2006, the pair took in three siblings from the Texas foster system, seven-year-old Marquise, four-year-old Hannah, and two-year-old Abigail. And despite their rough beginnings, which Jennifer dramatically recounted on social media, the trio seemed to settle in with their new mothers. So much so that, after their formal adoption that September, in spring of 2008, the pair took in three more siblings— five-year-old Devante, four-year-old Jeremiah, and three-year-old Sierra. Despite the outward appearance of a multi-race melded family unit, with Jennifer as a stay-at-home mom and Sarah working as a manager at retail stores, the signs and indications of abuse started to show up pretty quickly. In September of 2008, Hannah showed up to school with bruising on her arm and told her teacher that her mother beat her with a belt, resulting in interviews with both Jennifer and Sarah, who claimed they had no clue how her injuries happened. No charges were filed, and two months later, the kids were pulled from school only to be re-enrolled the following fall. A few months later, the women formally adopted the second set of siblings, despite their biological aunt's fight for custody, and the pair married with only their children as their witnesses. In 2010, Abigail complained of owies that she had on her back and stomach. According to stories, Abigail came to her mother's with a penny saying she found it, and her mother's did not believe her. So they held her head under cold water while Jennifer hit the girl to try and extract the truth. And when the authorities got involved, all of the children claimed that they were spanked on a number of occasions 
and had food withheld from them for one reason or another. Sarah took responsibility for the incident and, after pleading guilty to assault, was sentenced to a year of community service. Yet, just a year later, Hannah complained to a school nurse that she had not eaten all day. Her mother's claim that she was playing the food card and eventually took all six kids out of school and began homeschooling them. While all of this was happening, strangers, none the wiser, began fawning over the selfless women who adopted six needy children over social media. The family became regular attendees at transformational festivals, wearing matching costumes and jean jackets, and Devante went viral after a video camera caught him hugging a musician on stage, and it was uploaded to YouTube. On the surface, as the likes started pouring in on Facebook, they were the prime example of adoption success and a bonded family unit. It was only if you knew them personally that you had any idea that something was going on behind closed doors. In 2013, the Oregon authorities had started an investigation into the Hart family after being informed by Minnesota to keep their eye on the situation. As they began interviewing those who knew the Hart family, new stories of abuse started to come to light. Things like that the children had to raise their hand before speaking, could not wish each other happy birthday, and were not allowed to laugh at the dinner table. On one occasion, after ordering a pizza for the family, each child was only allowed a very small piece, and when Jennifer later discovered that the whole pie was gone, she punished them by not allowing them to eat breakfast and forced them to lie in their beds for five hours. The kids were scared of their mothers, Jennifer in particular, and acted as trained robots when cameras were up or people were over. Unfortunately, when the kids themselves were interviewed, they gave no indication that anything was wrong in the home, and the women chalked up the investigation to people being intolerant of their relationship, and that they were raising black children and simply wished to have their children taken away. Not long after this investigation got underway, Devante Hart was made a viral sensation yet again. When the family attended a Black Lives Matter rally in Ferguson, Devante was captured hugging an officer while tears streamed down his face in what is widely considered a prime example of copaganda. The image was immediately thrust into the spotlight, even mentioned on SNL, and featured in newspapers worldwide. What many failed to realize, according to one of the photographers present that day, is that Devante was crying before the officer approached him, and was presumably speaking to one of his mothers just before the photo was snapped, leading many to consider the photograph as a staged piece created to thrust the hearts into the spotlight yet again. According to Jennifer, the photo had unknown effects on her family, as she started to receive death threats and had to dress the children in costumes so they could play outside unbothered, resulting in a six-month hiatus from social media and the family secretly relocating to Clark County, Washington, an unincorporated community outside of city limits. While here, they moved next to the DeKalb family, who, in August of 2017, woke at 1.30 a.m. to a distressed Hannah Hart. The young girl had jumped out of her own bedroom window in the middle of the night so she could run to the DeKalb's for help. When they tried to calm her down, she said, Don't make me go back. They're racists and they abuse us. Jen attempted to explain this away, saying that the kids occasionally acted out because they were, quote, drug babies, and that no one should believe them when they make these wild claims. 
Unconvinced, the DeKalb's went to the authorities, and shortly after the incident, Devante showed up at their house, begging for food, claiming his mother's withheld meals from them, and he was starving. The DeKalb's went to Child Protective Services, reported the incident, and CPS made two attempts to reach the hearts. One was on March 23, 2018, and the other on March 26, 2018, the day the Hart family's lives would be forever changed. That is the day that Jennifer and Sarah Hart packed up their six kids into their SUV and Jennifer drove it off a hundred-foot cliff off California State Route 1. The bodies of the children, Hannah, now 16, Marquise, now 19, Jeremiah and Abigail, now 14, and Sierra, now 12, were all found in or near the upside-down car, while the body of 15-year-old Devante has never been found. When checked, toxicology results found that, at the time of the crash, Jennifer Hart's alcohol level was above the legal limit, and that Sarah and all of the children had diphenhydramine in their system. As news of the crash became public and investigations began, a witness came forward stating that, during a conversation with Sarah, she said that she wished someone had told her it was okay to have a small family that she and Jennifer would not have adopted the children if she knew better, while police found that, just before the crash, she had googled Benadryl, no-kill shelters, and the nature of drowning. Another witness came forward saying that just before the car went over the edge, he heard the engine rev up and the tires peel, meaning that this was not an accident, but a case of familial side. The black box inside of the car confirmed the intentional crash, and the case was ruled a murder-suicide. From what they can figure, faced with yet another abuse investigation, the women decided that this, their life, their children, and their marriage all had to end. That if they couldn't have the kids, no one else would. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on March 27th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>